game, the 15, and uh, we have some beautiful agadot, but first a little halakha. We're talking about the uh, libations, the amount of wine that one brings with various types of korbanot. And uh, basically this all comes right from the Pesukim uh, that are in uh, Sefer Bemidbar chapter 15. Uh, there are three categories. Uh, two of them are easy. Anything that's a big animal, cattle, cows, oxen, of that, for that, you bring uh, six lugim, efahin, which is six lug. Um, so that's the last paragraph here. The first paragraph says that small animals, sheep and goats, yeah, you bring three lug of wine together with them. So I got it, three for small animals, six for large animals. There's one exception for small animals, which is a ram. A ram is a male over a year old, and that, instead of three, is four lugim. I got it, three, four, or six, Six for all big animals, three for all small animals, except for a ram, which is four. That's basically the deal uh, that in the Pesukim and Bemidbar. And then the Pesukim end with a kind of summary. A summary statement. We're going to analyze that summary statement. Okay. We begin. The Gemara asks, what about a Rachel? Rachel is a female sheep that's over a year old. Um, because this was not explicit in the Mishnah, the uh, Gemara is asking about it. So we said we can infer from the Mishnah. When you would go, when someone would come and pay the cashier in the Bet HaMikdash and give them money, um, the cashier would give them a receipt. A receipt that said Gedi would serve, the Mishnah says, for all sheep, whether they are old or young, meaning more than a year old or less than a year, whether they're male or female. So there you go. Even though it only says Gedi, which is a young goat, uh, but since that same amount is used for uh, also an older female sheep, uh, therefore we can learn that that's also three. It's the same. Okay, so we answered our question. Now we're just going to go into the Pasuk, that summary Pasuk, and prove it and actually bring all the different cases together. Really everything in this asuk is extraneous. Those Pesukim beforehand already listed all of these and what you bring. So the Gemara is going to use this to prove the, everything that's not explicitly mentioned. Like which they're taking it to mean one law for all, all bulls, all oxen. This teaches that there's no difference between a calf, a young ox, and a short and adult ox. Why would I have thought that there might be a difference? Because regarding sheep, there is a difference. It says that there's a difference between if it's a young or if it's a ram, adult male. And so since there is a difference there called an ayil, Maybe I would have thought that there's also a difference regarding a calf and an adult uh, a bull. Therefore, you see only one law for all oxen, even if it's summer. And now the next phrase in that summary, so a ram is anything one year old or more, and that gets four log. So since that's different from one that's less than a year old, that gets only three, I might have thought, just like there's a difference between one and two years old, maybe when it gets to three years old, you have to give more. 
וכך תחלוק בין נזקי שנתי נזקי שלוש, זאת אומרת לומר, או לעיל האחד, therefore it says or for one ram, meaning all the cases of ram, one year and up, two, three years, doesn't matter, it is all going to be for log. The next phrase, or לעשה בקט בסים, למה נאמר, what if you need that summary statement regarding all the sheep, שהיה בדין עם אסון שחלק בין נזקי כבש נזקי עיל, since there is a difference between, uh, between a sheep and a ram when it's young or old, uh, I might, for, for a male, I might have thought I'd make, make a difference for a female also. That's female and more than one year old. Maybe that should also be four, like a ram. Therefore, the last, the last phrase says, uh, it doesn't matter. When it comes to a female, it's going to be all the same. Good. Now we got all the sheep. How about goats? Oh, about a zim. Why does it say, or goats? Since regarding sheep, there's a difference between male that's less than a year old and male that's more than a year old, three or four. Maybe I thought regarding goats that a kid, less than a year old, one would be three, and maybe a taish, an older uh, goat would be more. And so therefore it says, or izim, which shows at the same young and old. All of them are three. Okay, good. So now we understand the, uh, we, we, we solved that problem. Now next, when the person, uh, cashier would give a receipt to the person who bought some wine, it said the name of the day of the week. That way, it says today, Tuesday. That way, if someone lost it and found it on Wednesday, they couldn't cheat and then go and get Luke on Wednesday, like the like the uh, uh, New Jersey Transit tickets, or the different colors each day, the ones that they put on the on the on the sheet, on the seat. Now, a question: What if you save it for next week on Tuesday, right? So you know, this is Tuesday. You're going to save for next week and get something on the Tuesday. So that's no good. So you know what? They wouldn't write only that. Also, the name of the priestly guards, the priests, uh, the Kwanim were split up into 24 groups and they would take turns. Uh, 24 weeks, each one would have a turn and then they would start again from the beginning. So they wrote Tuesday, they, and the, the family of these Kwanim, they're one. That way, the next week, there's a new family. You wouldn't be able to use it. Now, the question, or to Mishmar. Maybe you'll wait till 24 weeks from now when that same one comes and it's also Tuesday. Shem Hayom, Shem Shabbat, Shem Chodesh, Katubalahen. They also put the name of the month, right? So now if they were, you know, in Nisan, and now 24, 24 weeks later, it's not going to be Nisan. So by between the day of the week, the name of the, the day of the month, the name of the Kohen family that's in charge, it's going to be a long time till you have all that combination. Guy's not going to hold on to the receipt for that long just to get a gallon of, uh, of wine. So Afilo says Zayeg and Masul is So that way you won't be able to match it up in the future. Okay, so that's the system that they use. Very interesting when you, know, you get the details of exactly what was written on the, these receipts. All right, next Mishnah is fascinating. Uh, there were different chambers, closets that were in the Beta Mikdash within the, within the courtyard. One of, the, one of them was called the Chamber of Secrets. Sounds like a Harry Potter thing, right? And we'll see why it's called that. And the other one was the Chamber of Vessels. The Chamber of Secrets is People who, were fear, who feared sin would deposit money there in, in hiding. They want to give money to charity. Instead of giving it directly to a poor person, they would put it in this, and then nobody would know that they gave. They gave it anonymously, not to take credit. 
עניים בני טובים מתפרנסים מתוכה בחשאי. And then poor people who were from noble families, they would support themselves from there in secret. The point is, since they were from noble families, it was embarrassing for them to go and beg. Maybe someone who was, who was born in a poor family, so he wouldn't be embarrassed, he could go ask around and, uh, and, and, uh, and beg for money. But someone from an aristocratic family, well, they would be able to maintain their dignity and go to that chamber and take money that they needed. And that way, the, both the givers and the takers were, uh, did so anonymously and maintained the dignity. This is where we learned that halakha from that we still do, do today. Now, that, that's the chamber of secrets. That's why it's called secret. The chamber of vessels. Let's say someone wants to donate. I want to donate a soul shaker, a glass, right? So I can take, I, I, um, I take it and I, I deposit it in that chamber. Once every 30 days, the treasurers would open up that storeroom and uh, look through all the donations. Something that they actually needed for the uh, up in temple maintenance. Uh, someone donated, uh, you know, a hammer or something. Oh, yeah, we need this. Uh, this is useful. Or, uh, you know, a ball or something. So then, they would leave it on the side and say, okay, we're going to use this. But something that they don't need, another vase or yellow door. We don't need another one, right? So then they would um, sell it. And with the money, they would use the money for the temple, temple maintenance. And that was, uh, and that's what they did. Okay, that's the Mishnah. Now the Gemara is going to explain further. These two sages, they were, Anasim means the supporters, they were in charge of the charity funds. Um, and they would give this third sage one coin every so often, and he would, uh, would give it out to other poor people. If you have a, like if you have a Bikur Cholim, the trustees deposit, have a, you know, deposit money, and then the caseworkers will be the go-betweens and give it to the poor people. That way the trustees don't actually know who they're giving it to and the other way around. So they would actually practice, um, even though that, this was done in the Beth HaMikdash times, even when the Beth HaMikdash was destroyed, the rabbis would replicate that kind of system, similar to what we do today with our charity organizations. One time, there was this rabbi, Zechariah, the son-in-law of Rabbi Levi, and everybody would malign him. They would say bad things about him. Because he would take parody money, and he didn't need it. They saw him driving around in a Porsche and all that, and, then, and he's taking money from charity. So people would say terrible things about him. After he died, they checked his finances and found out that actually he was taking that money not for himself, but to distribute to other poor people. And that way, you know, no one would know that, uh, that, uh, that he was doing this, uh, this great chesed. He didn't want to publicize it and take credit for himself. Um, and the poor people wouldn't know where it was coming from. And so he was actually doing a great thing. So he was falsely maligned. Uh, so that should uh, be a warning not to, you know, not to assume that people are taking things for themselves. Uh, we hear stories sometimes now about, about people like after they die, we find, we find out all kinds of uh, acts of chesed that they do. He would go and give out charity at night. Maybe when people were sleeping, he would put money into, the, into their uh, door slots. Um, and so that way nobody would know that, that he was doing it. One time, the, the head of the evil spirits 
uh, found him at night. And uh, during the night, it's dangerous to go out. You know, there's all kinds of evil spirits. So the chief evil spirit said, hey, what are you doing out here, out here at night? You know, you're dangerous. The evil spirit quoted a pasuk. They're also learned these evil spirits and said, Doesn't, didn't you teach, you rabbi teach that you should not trespass on your neighbor's border. Just like if you have a house next door, you should move your fence over to take some of their, their, their land. So too, the daytime is for human beings. The nighttime is for evil spirits. You shouldn't be here. You're trespassing on our time to be out in the open. So Rabbi Chana quote, uh, uh, counters him with another pasuk in Mishle that says, Matan baseted, a gift in secret, pacifies anger. So even if you know God is angry or I'm worthy of punishment, it won't happen when I am giving money in secret. When the evil spirit heard that, he was afraid of the rabbi and the evil spirit ran away. So you see the rabbi was safe to do his, uh, his chesed work at night. You'd expect it to say, happy is the one who gives money to the poor. Instead, it says, happy is the one who maskil, who is knowledgeable of the poor. What does that mean, uh, that he thinks about the poor? It should say, give to the poor. Rather, it teaches us that happy is the one who thinks about the mitzvah. What's the best way to do it? How can I do it? in a way that will maintain the dignity and give them exactly what they need and when they need it. So you should always be maskil. Don't just give in a haphazard way. Do it thoughtfully. What would he do if he saw someone who was once a very dignified, ben tovim, from a rich family, and his business uh, lost his business, he's down and out. What would he do? He would go over to him. He knew the poor person wouldn't want to take charities. You know, he's, uh, he's too pr proud to take charity. So he would say, well, oh, uh, I heard that you're going to get an inheritance from somewhere. Inheritance is coming to you. Uh, but in the meantime, I guess you need some money, the bridge loan. Here, uh, take, this, uh, take this money and you'll pay me back when you get your inheritance. But they both knew that there was no inheritance coming. After he took the money, then Abiyona would say, you know what, it's a present, don't worry, you never have to pay me back. And so that way, he would give in a thoughtful way and maintain their dignity. So this related that in our days there were elderly people who didn't want to, who didn't like to take money. They would only receive charity between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur because they said uh, and, uh, because they said that's the uh, that's our income for the year. Right? Just like we all say, or the income for our year is decided on Rosh Hashanah and sealed on Yom Kippur. So too, even though they're poor people, that's their income, whatever they take. If someone tried to give the money after Yom Kippur, they would not take it. So they gave people an opportunity to give charity during that time, but not afterwards. Um, after that, they said, that's our income for the year. Okay, next story, Nehemiah Ish Shichin. Nehemiah, here they translate the well digger. More likely, he was from a place called Shichin, that's a city. One, someone from Jerusalem happened to meet him. The poor person says, merit 
through me with a chicken. What does that mean? In those, in those days when someone was asking for money as a beggar, they wouldn't say, please give me money. They would say, um, I, I'm doing you a favor. I wanna give you merit, right? A merit of giving charity. So please give me a chicken. That way you can get merit, right? So merit, you're gonna give charity no matter what. So get your merit of charity through me by giving me a chicken. Okay, so you have to remember to understand the story. In those days, chicken was considered more expensive than meat, right? even finer dining than, than meat was to have a fine bird. So Nehemiah from Shechem said, listen, I'm not giving you a chicken, but listen, here's some money to buy some meat. Isn't that sufficient? That should be enough. The poor person took the money, bought a piece of meat, ate it, and died. His body wasn't used, digestive system wasn't used to eating meat. He needed to buy the finest bird, and he died because of that. And Nehemiah would go out, went out and cry. He felt so guilty. He said, everybody come and eulogize the person that Nehemiah killed, meaning that I killed, right? So, so he felt responsible. You learn from here. It's not up to the giver to say, I don't think you need this. Uh, this is enough for you, right? Whatever the, are the needs of the poor person, that's what the giver should try to give. Uh, the Tamud Bavli and Masechet Ketuvot has a parallel to the story where it's uh, where the person says, I need some uh, fat chicken. And, uh, and the rabbi says, here, yeah, just take some lentils, right? I eat lentils, eat lentils with me. And he eats lentils and died. And then it says the same line, everybody, you know, um, uh, mourn for the person that the rabbi killed. But then the Gemara adds there, well, maybe they should say, woe to the poor person who got himself used to such a high level of, of, of eating and now he's dependent on other people to provide him that. So the Bible gives the counterpoint, right? Uh, the responsibility both of the giver to give whatever person someone says they need, but also the responsibility of the receiver to, to rely on less so that the community doesn't have to come up with money to uh, support such a high, level, uh, a high level of living. Okay, now we have a famous story about Nahum Ish Gamzo. He's known as Gamzo, everybody thinks his name is, because he would say, Gamzo Latova. He would always say, this too is for good. Um, that's Midrash on his name. His actually, his name, actually his name, he came from a place called Gimzo, the city. So Nahum from Gimzo. One time he was going to visit his father-in-law and he was bringing a gift. He was bringing a whole tray of a whole meal. On the way, someone who was a poor person who was afflicted with boils met him on the way. The poor person says, have merit through me by giving me what you have over there in your tray. Hey, give me that meal, and that way you will merit by giving charity. says, on the way back, I'll give you something. You don't want to give him the, the, the present he's going to give to his father-in-law. On the way back, I'll give you something. So he went to his father-in-law, hung out there on his way back, he saw the poor person with boils that he had died. He was so hungry, he couldn't last that, you know, that those extra few minutes till he came back. Nachum Mishkamzo felt very guilty. So then he would say, so he saw the man and he said about himself, the eyes, my eyes that saw you and did not give you food should be blinded. My hands that did not stretch forth to give you food, they should be cut off. My legs that did not run to give you food should be broken. 
umatetekhen, and that's in fact what happened to him. So now he's sitting in bed with no arms, no legs, and blind. Such a sad sight. His student went to visit Nachum Mishkamzo. Rebekiba says, Woe to me, I have to see you in such a starry state. Nachum Mishkamzo in the bed says, Woe to me that I don't see you in such a sorry state, Rebekiba. Right? You shouldn't have, I have pity on you that you still have your arms and legs and your sight. Right? I wish you would be like me. When they were sitting, Rabbi Yaakov sat below him. 
right? Like when they're sitting in the lecture, they would be, uh, or in a public place. So the, the most important you are, so you sit in front. Those who are less important sit below. So the Bielim Zakot set himself below the blind person. A blind person can't see where he's sitting or anybody else is sitting. Not everybody else can. And why did he do that? So that people looking will say, if this person was not a great man, certainly the Bielim Zakot would not sit below him. So the Zakot, we don't know who he is. But the Bielezer must know who he is, and he must be a great person. So we have to afford him honor. Everybody gave him presenthood and helped him out because he was so important. I mean, I'm sure they would give charity anyway and help him somewhat, but because they thought he was such an important person, they gave him a lot. My lawn, and the blind person didn't know why everybody was being so nice to him. He says, What is all this? What is all these gifts that people are giving me? So they explained to him, the great rabbi here, he sat below you. And so the blind person said the following prayer. Says, you, you did a great kindness to someone who is seen but does not see, meaning me, the blind person, then said, he who uh, sees but is not seen, meaning God, should do great kindness to you. So that's the origin of the of that prayer. And uh, this other blind, blind person heard about it and repeated it. One time these two rabbis were walking around Lod, uh, the city of Lod, where the airport is now in modern Israel. And they were, they were looking at all the different synagogues that were there, beautiful synagogues, with architecture and uh, beautiful materials. So one rabbi said, look how much money uh, your forefathers invested in this, in this synagogues here. And over generations, they must have put so much money in to build these beautiful synagogues. So he's saying something nice. But the other rabbi responds and says, how many souls did your did the forefathers um, uh, uh, in, invest here? Meaning as a denigration. Weren't, weren't there anyone around here that could have studied Torah? But instead of putting all that money into buildings, they should have used the money to support sages that they would be able to study Torah. Instead, what do you have? Beautiful buildings with uh, unlearned people, nobody to use them. So, you know, we see this happen sometimes today, people like to donate to the building fund and make a beautiful building, but then you see there's not, no activity going on. Better to invest in people than in just buildings. Okay, a wonderful lesson. A similar story, one time Nabi Abun donated a lot of money to build gates to Sidrarabah for the study hall. Beautiful gates. So Rabbi Mana comes to him, and Rabbi Abun says, Sir, did you see? Look what a, what a beautiful contribution I made, right? Isn't that impressive? Because that Israel has forgotten its maker and built palaces. What does it mean? How could you build palaces for God and yet forget, your, for, for, forget God? It says, well, aren't there people here that were worthy, had potential to study Torah? You should have put invested the money in them rather than on these impressive gates. Okay, great lesson. And now we end this uh, pedic 
uh, going back to some of the halacha, Tane, Kodshem is Beach Mosina Taraui, Lahen Mikoche Bede Kabait, and Kodshe Bede Kabait Mosina Taraui, Lahen Mikoche Mizbeach. So uh, the, the things that are holy for the altar, uh, if you don't have enough of them, let's say you don't have enough wine, right, to, for, the, uh, for the communal offerings, would go for that. But if not enough money, I need some extra. So you could go to the fund for the temple maintenance called Bet Kabait, and you could take some and raise it to a higher level and use it to buy wine for the libations. That's permitted. The other way is not permitted. Um, if there's not enough funds for the temple maintenance, you can't take money that was donated for sacrifices to something consecrated on the altar and then use it for temple maintenance because that's a lower level. Uh, so that's what the Brayta says. We ask a question on that. We said in the Mishnah that someone donates vessels and uh, we need it, so we leave it on the side. But if it's not needed, then you sell it, and the money goes to the temple maintenance. It sounds from there that you have to, like, you have to use the you have to use the money for temple maintenance. You can't use it for anything else. Says, means, can he? This is how you should understand Matita the Mishnah. It goes not, it doesn't have to go to temple maintenance, it goes to the temple of temple, goes to the chamber for temple maintenance. Once it's in that chamber, if you need some for some wine libations, it's permitted to use it for that purpose. And so with that, we complete the fifth pedic, and we begin the sixth pedic with an absolutely fascinating discussion about where is the Aron Haberit nowadays? Where is the Ark of the Covenant? Uh, okay, so here the Mishnah teaches, go to the next pedic. There were 13 uh, horns. Not, horns means baskets that were shaped like a horn, narrow on top and fat on the bottom. And there were pushkas. People would put donate money in them. There were 13 different donation boxes for all different kinds of things. One of them was for Machasita Shekel. That's why they mention it here. Um, one of them was Machasita Shekel for the previous year, in case you didn't, uh, you forgot to bring it last year. Another one was for birds, if you have to bring a bird offering. Another one was for a burnt offering that comes from uh, from birds. Another one is for wood, to provide wood for the for the Mizbeach. Another one for frankincense, another one for gold. Another one for money that, it was extra money that you had set aside for a sin offering, but now you don't have to use anymore, or extra money that you set aside for a guilt offering, Hashem, or money left over, for a zav or a zava, a money left over from a nazir, a money left over for a guilt offering for a leper, and donations for burnt offerings of animals. Um, so those are the thirteen different boxes. You have to, if you brought, if you needed something, you came and don't and, and put your money in the correct box. That's why we brought it here. And there was also thirteen different tables. Um, we know the the shulchan that's in the kodesh. Um, that's here uh, number uh, and letter F in this diagram. But besides that, there were other tables that were, were used. Uh, in area A, that's when they prepare the, the, the animals, so they need tables to put things on. And B, so there were eight over there, and B there was one, and C there was one, D, E, so altogether 13 tables. And there was also 13 places, someone was coming to visit the Betamitash, they would bow on, in 13 different stocks for important and holy things, which we'll get to on the next one. Now, Shabbat Lamegam Liev, Shabbat Bichananya Ben Sagana Kohanim Yushta Chavim Barba Esre. 
um, the, the, the dynasty of the Ban Gamliel, he was the Nasi, and also the family of the Bichanania, who was the vice Kohen Gadol, they had a 14th spot that they would bow, uh, bow down. No one, everybody did 13, they had an extra place where they would bow down. Where? Now, regarding the chamber of wood, we already learned about two chambers. Here's another one. There was one closet where they deposited all the all the wood, the logs that they would use to burn on the Betamikdash. They had a family tradition that the Aron Hakodesh, Aron Hakodesh existed in the first Betamikdash time, right? But at the end of the first Betamikdash, it was gone. It was hidden. It went somewhere. Nobody knows where it is. The entire time of the second Bet Mikdash, the Kodesh Kodashim was empty. There was nothing there. There was no Adon in the Kodesh Kodashim. So where did it go? They had a family tradition that it was buried under the chamber of wood. And so they would bow at the chamber of wood uh, in honor of the, of the Adon that they believed was buried underneath. In fact, here's an amazing story. One Kohen was in the chamber of the wood and he was doing some work there and he noticed one of the floor tiles was different from all the other ones. It was a little loose or a different color. He came to tell his friends, oh, I think I found where it is, right? It's under this tile. He didn't get to finish his sentence. He was saying, I found the floor tile, and he died, right? In other words, this, this secret is not to be revealed. And then they know for sure that that must be where the Aron is if such a, such a great miracle happened to, to make sure that this secret would be kept quiet. Okay, this is an amazing Mishnah. It does remind me, in the second book of Maccabees, the books of Maccabees are in Apocrypha, starts off with a letter that says that Yirmiyah, before the Bet HaMikdash was destroyed, really saw that the, Bet the destruction was coming and didn't want the Adon to be taken. So he took the Adon to an undisclosed location. Someone tried to follow him to find out where it was, but that guy never made it, right? That's another tradition that Yirmiyah hid it somewhere. Okay, so there's lots of traditions about this. Now the Gemara will, uh, will uh, expand. These collection boxes were shaped like a horn and uh, narrow at the top, wide at the bottom, so that cheaters wouldn't be able to stick their hand in and you know they look like they're giving putting money in but actually taking money out. So because it's narrow on top, they couldn't do that. So there's now a diff different opinion altogether. The, 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 the Aron is not under the Bet Migash, but rather when Benesra went to Babel in exile, they took the Aron with them. How do we know that? Well, one time King, King Hezekiah, he invited a foreign dignitaries and showed them all the treasures, which he shouldn't have done. It's not nice to boast about uh, your, your pri the private treasures. And so Yeshaya, the, the Navi came and said, because you did that, all everything that you've stored up is going to be carried to Babel. Not one thing will be left. Uh, one thing is called davar. Now, davar is the same word as diberot. So davar is talking to, referring to the thing, the ark where the Dibirot are, that are, are stored in it, that will be taken to Babel. So that's a hint in the Pasuk that the Aaron went into, into Babel, went to Babel with them. 
‫לכן הוא אומר, ‫זו תשובת השנה שלך המלך מוכנסר, ‫ביהו, ואבלה עם כלה חמדת בית אדוני. ‫ואז סימלי, בדברי הימים, ‫הוא מדבר על גלות יהויכין, ‫שיהויכין היה כבר שלושה חודשים. So that's a second hint that the Aron was taken to Babel. That's the first opinion here. Now, Rabbi Shimon ben Lakish Omer, also known as Resh Lakish, No, it was not taken to Babel. It was buried right there, right under the Kodesh Kedashim. That's where it is. How did Hadahu dichtiv? Arichu habadim, ayerau rashi habadim el hakodesh. Elpinei adabir, elo yerau hachutza. In describing the temple that Solomon built, It uh, says that the, the, the staves, the, the, um, the rods that uh, they used to hold the Aron, they were very long. They were so long that they protruded from the Kodesh Kodashim. That is a curtain, right? The parochet that separates between the Kodesh and Kodesh Kodashim. And so these, uh, these, these two sticks uh, protruded and they could be seen a little bit uh, from outside. Um, but it also says they could not be seen. So you couldn't see them because of the curtain, but you could see them protruding just a bit. Um, and then the pasuk ends that they are there until this day, Ad Hayom Hazeh. Now when's Ad Hayom Hazeh? Could be re reading it today. So that means that the, it is still there. You can go there, you won't see it. It means it's buried underground under the Kodesh Kodashim. So that's the second opinion here. Um, while we're mentioning this pasuk, We're going to say a derasha about explanation. Pasuk seems to contradict itself. It says that these sticks can be seen, then it says they couldn't be seen. Well, which one is it? They're kind of seen, but actually not seen. They looked like the two dadim of a woman that you can kind of see the protrusion, but you can't see because it's covered by the cloth. It's a very interesting uh, analogy uh, to bring this kind of intimacy, intimate analogy. I, I think it makes sense because um, we think of the relationship between Hashem and Israel as husband and wife, although here it's, it's switched. Usually Hashem is the husband and Israel are the wife. I think this uh, actually makes more sense in terms of the love for Torah. The rabbis made an analogy of their love for Torah was like the love that they felt for a woman. That's why before it talks about the Torah's chemda. Uh, something that they have great desire for. And so they use this very interesting analogy. Okay, now we have the opinion of Rabbanan. Rabbanan Ganuz. No, it wasn't taken to Bavel. It wasn't uh, under the Kodesh Kodeshim, but rather it was under the chamber of wood. There's the same story with a little more elaboration as we saw in the Mishnah. There was one Kohen who had a blemish. Now, a Kohen was a blemish. He can't serve in the Beth. In the, he can't do Korbanot because he has a blemish. So he would get a job to check the wood, make sure there's no worms in the wood. Because it's not nice to, to, to have worms in the wood. And so he was checking that. He saw the floor in one spot was different from the floor next to it. So he said, oh, here's, he must be here. That's where the Aaron is buried. He went to tell his colleagues that here's the spot. He found it. He couldn't finish the sentence until his soul left him. And then they knew that it must be there. And then the 
Abraita uh, says that he 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 uh, he banged on it with a uh, with a mallet and uh, to see maybe it's loose over there. See what's under there, and fire came out and burned him. Sounds like a booby trap from uh, from the Raiders of the Lost Ark, right? So maybe this is the source of the movie. This is Yehuda ben Nakish, maybe the uh, brother of Rabbi Shimon ben Nakish, said there was, uh, we're talking about the Actually, two, you thought there was one ark, there were actually two. One of them had the Torah in it, the other one had the broken Luchot in them. One had the, the complete Torah that would have stayed in all world all the time. How do we know that? That Aaron and Moshe never left the Machane. So you see that Aaron, I mean, Moshe obviously left and did things, but they had that Aaron with the full Torah stayed in the Ohem Moed all the time. Um, and there was another one. And the one that had the broken luchot, that would go out to war with them. And when they were finished, they would come back. And that one was seen among them. The one in the Al-Mu'ad was hardly ever seen. Never seen. Okay, so that, so there you go. So that according to this, there was two Adons. The rabbis disagreed and said, no, there was only one Adon that had everything in them. And one time, when the, when the Jews were going out to fight the Pilishtim, they brought the Aaron out with them so that Hashem would be fighting with them, and it was captured. A famous story. We're going to try to bring a couple of proofs both ways, and that'll be the end of the, end of the daf. So there's a proof that, proof that shows uh, the, on the side of the banan that there was only one Aaron. Where? When they when the when they bring out the Aaron against the Pelishtim, Pelishtim say say woe to us! Who's going to save us from the, these uh, this great uh, these mighty gods? It means that they never saw such a thing in their life. So you see, there's only one Aaron, and no one ever saw it, and that's why they were so afraid. But there's another pasuk that proves that there was two Aarons where Bayomer. Uh, later on in Shemuel Aleph, when Shaul was in a different war, he told Achiyah, the Kohen, bring the Aaron. Aaron What do you mean bring the Aaron? Aaron was captured by the Pilishtim because they ended up winning that war. Um, they didn't want the Aaron with them because it brought them bad luck. It brought other people bad luck in Beth Shemesh. And finally, the Aaron ended up in Kiryat Ya'arim for many years. So during this war that Shaul, what do you mean? How could he say, bring the Aaron if the Aaron was in Kiryat Ya'arim? Therefore, it must be that there were two Aarons. One of them was captured. The other one, they still had. And that's why Shaul said in the middle of the battle, oh, we need the Aaron, bring the other one. Okay, so this seems to be a good proof that there was in fact two Aarons. What's Rabbanan going to do about this? So he got, what Shaul said actually there was not bring the Aaron, but rather bring the seats, the, the, what the Kohen wore on his uh, forehead. Okay, this is uh, this is quite interesting. Like where the rabbi is getting from, the Pasuk says, bring the Aaron. How do they translate that? that mean, bring the seats. Are they just trying to you know, make a, just find, find any explanation? Actually, if you look in the Septuagint, the Septuagint says instead of Hagisha Eli Aaron, it says Hagisha um, 
Ehod. Um, and in context there, if you look at other Pesukim surrounding it, it says that Yahya brought the Ephod. And in other cases, he says, bring the Ephod. So when the rabbis, when they answer here for the rabbis, they say, bring the seats, uh, they probably have some textual evidence uh, for saying that it's one of the garments of the Kohen Gadol, and in fact, not the Aron. Uh, so there's um, probably, this is, like, I think, actually a good answer. Okay, another proof for the opinion that says there's two add-ons is when Uriah, I remember David brings Uriah back from battle and he wants Uriah to go home and, uh, and be with Bathsheba so that any child born, they would think, uh, everybody would think is Uriah's. So he says, uh, David says, Uriah, go home. Uh, Uriah says, no, how can I go home? Aaron and Israel and Yehuda are sitting in booths out in the front lines in battle, and I should go home and be with my wife? No, I can't do that. Now, what do you see here? That the Aaron was in Sukkot, the Aaron was in battle. Now, was it really there? Allah, Aaron, the Sion, Haya. Wasn't Aaron in Sion in Jerusalem, right, at the time? There's no proof from this, but this is an assumption the Gemara is making. So how could that be? Therefore, it must be that there's two add-ons, one with David and Yerushalayim, and one was out in the battle. Well, this seems to be a good proof. Avdin the Rabbanan, what are the rabbis going to say? Because they say there's only one add-on. Sechach shehu kikirui, l'adayin lo nivna beta bechira. It says, no, the add-on, when it talks about booths, it's not booths that were on the, on the front lines of battle, but rather, they didn't build the Beta Mitash yet. And so the Aron, even though it was in Sion in Jerusalem, it was in a booth-like structure because the Beit HaMikdash was not yet built. And so that's what Uriah meant. How can I go home when the, uh, then when the people are out in battle and the Aron does not have a home yet? And that's, uh, that's what he meant. In fact, there was only one, uh, only one Aron.